Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Happy co uh, coffee break. Uh, I'm Spencer Campbell, aka Gila RPGs. Uh, every Sunday, I sit down with my friends and awesome people from the indie RPG scene and just share a cup of coffee and talk about whatever it is that we uh, we're excited about. We're working on anything like that. I'm extremely excited about today because I've got my good friend Adam Vass here. Uh, Adam is one of my favorites. You can probably see in the video my pile of Adam Vass games that I've got here, uh, just that I'm ready to gush about. Um, but before I go into all my gushing, uh, Adam, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the fine folks at home and like throw out all your links and everything at the beginning too, just to get that, and then we'll get, we'll do it again at the end too. Hold on, Adam. They cannot hear you, it turns out. I can hear you. Hold on, folks. Try something again, Adam. Hold on, folks. I, I did a brand new audio setup uh, between times that I've done this, and so that would explain a lot why this isn't <laughs> working. Now try saying something, Adam. All right, we're going again. We're doing it again. I think that works. I cool. Think, I think it's working. We'll wait. There we right. go. We got people in chat. All right, we did it. We nailed okay. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Adam Vass. I make tabletop role-playing games as World Champ Game Co. Uh, you can find all my games at worldchamp.io and worldchampgameco.itch.io for the downloads. Um I put out games almost every month on Patreon at patreon.com slash worldchampgameco. And I'm currently uh, kickstarting a game called Soulburner at www.dying.day. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at WCGameco. I think that's everything. That's very good. That's very good. Dying.day is such a good link. I, I was listening to the Braintrust <laughs> podcast the other day, and you were talking about how, like you and Will were talking about how it's a very good link. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I... Uh, when I did Cyber Metal and I bought Pentagram.City, I was like, oh, I should just do this for every game because it's like one like on Instagram, you can't click links or you can't you mm. you just are like relying on people to remember. And like no one will ever remember a tiny URL or a bit.ly or anything like that. Right. So just making it something that's part of the game, I think actually might work. Like I don't have data for this, but it seems like it would you're going to remember your dying day and like you won't remember tinyurl.com slash soul burner. It was so. so easy for me to, to like pull up the, uh, the cyber metal link anytime I needed it. Cause I was like, yeah. I have this link so burned into my brain. It just makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Very good. Um, they're cheap now too. It's like a dollar a month to keep that. So, bad. When the campaign's over, Pentagram City will just go to like the Sour Metal page on my website or something. And the the intent was like if I was gonna continue to make Death Agent games, that I could always use Pentagram City to forward to whatever the newest game is. It's right. like a hub. Um but that that project might be dead in the water. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Well, we always have the the biggest, highest ambitions when we're putting together yeah. domains, and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I was just looking at domains the other day too. Where I was like, I should probably just pick up some for for games, and then I know that if I buy them, I have to like actually work on the game, or at least that's what I think. <laughs> but then I won't. Then I'll be like, well, now I just have this. this yeah, that was me buying running shoes and <laughs> spending a hundred bucks on running <laughs> shoes to tell myself I'm gonna work out. Nice. Very good. Very good. Um, I mean, I'm super excited to talk just because I mean. As you can see from the pile, huge fan. Love love everything that Adam does. Um, the the Patreon is super cool. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, obviously, Soul Burner for sure. Uh, I want to talk about Cyber Metal since that's in sort of like the post-Kickstarter phase of production. You got, you got a lot of plates yeah. that you're spinning right now. <laughs> More than normal, even. And I feel like I'm always doing a lot, but right now is, is definitely like the most. It's, I mean, I've always been blown away with your ability to just produce, to just keep <laughs> making, because like, like with the Patreon, it's a once a month thing and it's, it's like a whole ass cool thing, like a whole new concept of layout and art and like every game feels very different and new, but also feels very Adam Bass. I have plans of doing a couple of my RPG and five minute videos of your stuff, just in like bundles of like, here's Adam's games about art. Cause I just <laughs> want to talk about how Adam thinks about art. And I think it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Patreon's a good excuse for me to get those things out. It's almost like, you know, Twitter is to a thought what an essay is to like a complete thought. Mm. Um, my Patreon releases are these kind of like thought chunks. And then my, tentpole releases my hardcover books and stuff are like much deeper dives into similar themes yeah yeah it's it's super super cool i'm curious because i don't think i've i've talked to you about this like with the patreon how far ahead do you usually have things like do you because it's a month it's a monthly release essentially for yeah you. so like are you just like all right it's april so i'm making may's game or is it like you've got a couple <laughs> brewing um it's may so i'm making may's game it's usually <laughs> how it goes and a lot of them uh happen over a weekend like i can think of you know no game and veneration the the saint anger metallica zine um there are ideas that were kind of steeping and then on my day off air quotes um i would just knock them out and send it to print on monday and then uh, the only time that I'm ever really thinking ahead for Patreon is if I have a like an idea backup where like I have too many things and I need to kick one out or if printing is is a hurdle like um, this month's game roll for clues, which is on a scratch off card. Yeah. Um, scratchers just take longer to print than zines do. So I had that sent to print last month and uh so it was ready to go like it was i don't really sit on them because i'm not a patient person so <laughs> once something's done especially once it's been printed i can't help but just to get it out and uh so very often my patreon releases are spur of the moment i feel excited about something in the moment so i chase that feeling um for better or worse right um because sometimes i think i'm blinded by that and I don't necessarily do the critical design that would go into like a bigger project. Mm. Um, 
but I think there's something very pure about that. And it's almost like game jam energy that I'm just having by myself of this idea is really cool. I'm just going to finish it to some state that I consider finished and probably never look at it again. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like the perfect mentality for the Patreon games, right? It's just like, this is a, almost like, not like proof of concept, but it's like, I've got this, this like itch in my head. I got to scratch it. And I could spend all day trying to diagnose the itch and figure out what it is and create this big elaborate thing. Or I could just scratch the itch and be like, all right, I'm ready for the next time my brain gets itchy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And a lot of that too comes from like the visual aspect of it. Um, I do most of the own, most of my own art for my own games. And sometimes uh, I'm chasing an aesthetic, like ether operations was aesthetic first and form function, which was that like fold out crazy zine format. The mechanics came after. (laughs) (laughs) Mechanics came after for ether, for ether operations. Yeah. I wanted to, yeah, I was inspired by all this weird kind of like new agey art that was showing up on my Instagram and um, wanted to make that and wanted to gamify that in some way. Mm. And so the mechanics came after because I really just wanted to nail the look and the feel of like your it it kind it followed Necronautilus in this idea of like your characters that you almost can't describe yeah like (laughs) you're just a a pure being of brain and like what the fuck is that um and i like that that's that's what all of my recent stuff is it's just that really exciting gonzo Mm -hmm. full tilt weirdness because there's enough games where i can be an elf that i don't feel like i have anything innovative or interesting to say there you're not about to go blow everybody's minds on a new interpretation of Elf right now? Soulburner is a little bit of this. is like me trying to do something fantasy. Mm. But it is still very me and weird. And like... It's so it's gonna you and else. weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember listening to you talk to Will about this. You're like, I think this is my first attempt at fantasy. I was like, yeah, I guess. But it's Adam Bass <laughs> fantasy, which is a totally yeah. different flavor of fantasy. <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah which is which is sweet i want to talk about soul burning but actually you just reminded me something that i I, i've actually been wanting to ask you for a while which is you mentioned like with with like ether operations that it was like you had like the idea of like the 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 aesthetics first like aesthetics came first and then mechanics your games are so wildly like they drip with aesthetic right like that's that's a big part of your your design style every time i see a game i know it's an adam bass game so my question is for you is it usually like you have the sense of like what mechanically you're interested in exploring first and you find the aesthetics and like flavor that goes with it or is it vice versa or do they just kind of like manifest at the same time for you where you're like ah i know what this all is they're they're definitely tied together it's not usually a a sequential thought um but I would say the thing that comes first, like often the the very impetus of it is you ever, I'm sure you have because of your psychology background knowledge. <laughs> yeah. um, but the idea that like some people, some people, when they think they can like, you know, whatever, like 25% of people have a narrator or right. on- only some people have the ability to like see a- an image. 
if you say apple i can picture that i can like have every sensory experience of that apple in my mind and i know i only just learned like a year ago that that's not universal yeah it's bizarre like you kind of just assume that everybody thinks and sees things the same way you do and you realize that is not the case so so i i daydream a lot i kind of like part of it too comes from having some sort of I got diagnosed with OCD and I think it's um, a blessing and a curse in that when the thing that I'm obsessing over is cool, um, I can chase that and turn a snowball into a boulder, you know, like, so a lot of these games, especially Cyber Metal and Necronautilus and uh, these tentpole games come from this visualization I have of a scene or a character or um almost just like a frame of a movie Hmm. that doesn't exist and i go okay well then i'm gonna make the movie or i'm gonna make the game of that movie and that's what you end up getting to read and play so like pentagram city is this image i have of like modded out demons click click wheeling their iPods to try to find a song that they can't find. And like the room is filled with purple weed smoke. And it's just like, it's interesting because the game itself is violent and action-based, but the impetus of it was just like, it's very much just like chilling with your friends, but you get to be extreme. Yeah. Um, and kind of tapping into that like 90s extreme aesthetic mixed with 90s technology silliness like um you know i i think i'm a little bit older than you and a lot of the people in our community um i just turned 34 but i remember oh righteous (laughs) (laughs) uh as a as a tangent, I get really self conscious when somebody's like twenty three and they just made the best game of the year, right. and I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> I thought I was I thought I was killing it, but I'm late. Um, so uh, shoot, I lost I lost the train of thought on that tangent, and I kind of older than mind. other people is what you were saying. Oh, I just remember having the printer that you had to tear the sides off of, like the spools or whatever. And I just kind of wanted to, like, so much of cyberpunk is this idealized, everything technological is perfect future. And, like, I remember living through the Y2K scare and, like, getting AOL discs in the mail and all these silly things. Tech has never been even good. Like, (laughs) tech always kind of feels like it's a step behind what the idea is. Mm. And so I was really interested in cyberpunk as this technological future retro future that like doesn't quite work good yeah uh it's so good that's comedy that's hilarious and the idea that it's still a cyberpunk game where you're still doing missions and taking down like these power hungry people and all this stuff but like your computer froze like that's hilarious (laughs) so um i wanted to capture the comedy of that in a totally gonzo i i think the other thing and i realized this recently is um a lot of my games feel very adult swim of Mm. like just turning the volume up 
so the dial breaks off and just i i like that it's fun it doesn't have to be funny i don't think a lot of my games are intended to be comedy but there's an innate comedy to role-playing right and being an adult that's rolling dice and telling stories is kind of funny so like um it's it's certainly not a bad thing but i like to be honest in some way about the sort of absurdity of it uh and i think i bring that into the game itself yeah i mean it's so much to to me it's more exciting to engage with a cyberpunk future of technology that i have experienced and like know how i remember thinking how cool it was like my mind being blown by new things like when we got aol installed in our house and being like wait a minute what how does this work (laughs) and then like and exactly like you said it never really worked the way you wanted it to someone would pick up the phone and you'd get disconnected (laughs) from the internet and it's just like okay yeah don't worry it is cool i promise you it's cool but you're gonna run into all these horrible things that just keep happening uh I love that vibe getting captured as the cyberpunk, you know, kind of the retro future instead of the, because I can't imagine like what technology is actually going to look like in 20 years. It's going to be nothing like whatever anybody has ever pictured before. So like whatever we come up with is going to be just kind of like a, like a slightly advanced version of what we have now. So I'd rather like dick around with the stuff that we had before and be like, yeah, I remember when that was the bleeding edge. There's so many fun movies from like 90s and early 2000s too, where they're like, we have to go into the internet. And like, (laughs) that's also specifically something I was trying to capture of just like this almost fundamental understanding of what technology is for and what it can do. (laughs) Um, Mixed with like, you know, like Nintendo 64 graphics. (laughs) Right, exactly. God, I mean, the number of times that we were kids and looking at something like a ps2 game and be like it will never get better it will simply never get better (laughs) more real than real life (laughs) uh see that's that shit's fun like that's fun to think back about that and build up an entire game where that's the premise that's where we got to yeah but like but then also like exactly like you said there's a demon with their ipod scrolling through the click wheel and you're like okay cool giant massive sentient rats over there we got a bug man over there demon i'd I'd hang out in pentagram city it's pretty cool yeah yeah it very much captures in in addition to that sort of like 90s youth um just sort of like the feeling of me being 22 Mm. you know and like when i was touring for nine months out of 12 months of the year and staying in people's kitchen floors and like you have, um, I don't know, conflict, you have trauma and stuff, but it's not on a global scale. I'm not saving the world. I'm just trying to get by and like my friends and I are doing what we can together. And that really is the core experience of cyber metal is the world kind of sucks and the world's always going to suck and has sucked because you are not ever going to be able to change it. It's never going to be your thing. Mm. We're not, going to level 20 and becoming the rulers of this land you know like we're always just going to be the player the the characters in the game are called citizens and i think that was a deliberate choice too to just be like the city is bigger than you are you're always going to just be at best a component part of a moving machine yeah and 
there's a futility in that, but there's also the sort of like Sisyphean, you have to find <laughs> what you want out of that experience. Right, exactly. That rocks. That rocks so much. I'm so excited <laughs> for Cyber Metal. Um, I mean, before we do talk about Soul Burner, like, so Cyber Metal's in, like, the ki- the Kickstarter's done. Um, yeah. You're in, I think you're in layout mode with it right now, right? It it was on GameFound. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, I'm by... <laughs> It was not a good time, and I don't like it there. And uh, I've been really cautious because I still am using their pledge manager, and I still rely on that for money. Mm. Um, but I will s- suffice to say, it is not going to be the next thing for our community or our mm. world. But it is in layout. I'm. Uh, I I had Will Yopes edit it, who did an amazing job, and it's just like so invigorating to get that edit back god will is the Um, best editor in the game it was awesome because they did they they leave comments and stuff in such a way that it feels like you're having a not real-time conversation with someone who cares about the thing that you're making as much as you did Mm -hmm. and uh it's just really fascinating and i think in addition to the sort of you know uh grammar fixes and stuff um the game is just made better by someone asking me questions I wasn't asking myself. But so that is happening. I'm still tinkering with the doc and kind of like almost racing myself of finishing this section and then putting it into layout Mm -hmm. and doing art for it. Um, Luckily I've been doing art for it for months. That was part of the blessing and curse that was running a crowdfund before the game was done. Yeah. I had to make a ton of art. And now I'm in that way well prepared to do layout because there's so many assets I can use. It looks really cool. I'm really happy with it. Um, I'm doing that sort of maximalist layout thing again, but with way more art than I've ever had before. Mm. Um, Even like Necronautilus, which I think is a very art heavy book. This has more. Um, Almost every page has like something so far. So hell yeah it's gonna look really rich and cool and again i want to imbue that those ideals through the visuals because text can get you so far but it relies on you to read all the text but if you just open the book and you see you know somebody prying a skull open to extract the data like you get something else out of that and it's it's cool and rich so i'm really happy with it i'm doing all this weird analog stuff too of like Almost all the illustrations are drawn with real ink and scanned in. I've been using my thermal printer, the, the printer that we use to sh- make shipping labels yeah. um, to get like really real texture. Like I'm um, holding this up really close, cool. but because um, thermal labels are like really poor quality, uh-huh. <laughs> right? Innately. Um, so you get these weird like streaks and dots and stuff because that printer doesn't know what gray is. It right. just like, things so um you know making it in the computer printing it on the thermal printer sticking that to a piece of paper and then scanning it back in to use that file um there's so much really cool experimentation i'm getting to do with again it's funny i think about this often and i think about this especially when i make something like fiskborg or or that's looking Mm. like with the punk aesthetic is kind of in contrast to what we were talking about earlier technology has surpassed the ability to be 
too shitty mm-hmm. and there's not anything I can do that's like going to Kinko's and copy scamming when I was in high school and making zines with a copier because printers now are just better. Mm-hmm. So I'm using Photoshop to emulate this outdated technology <laughs> to look worse. <laughs> but on some level, it's hard to capture that bad look because Photoshop is too advanced. It's using AI to fix everything. Right. Um, so I'm I'm ending up in these fun little cycles of like, making something look bad enough to be evocative, but good enough to still be legible and like functional in a modern graphic design kind of way. Yeah. It's fun. It's weird. It's like a cool challenge to me. And I get to, you know, I bought graffiti pens for the first time in like 15 years and I'm doing like drippy text stuff. Uh, yeah. I Behind me, I have just a bunch of like smeared paint on oh, that I yeah. did with art knives to scan in and mess with and it's just like awakening some aspect of the visual artist in me that even uh, like i said i do all the art for my games but this one feels really unique and it's it's pushing me in new directions that i didn't predict that rocks for i mean if people like missed cyber metal they the what is the y2k demo still it's still up on like itch right yeah. so people can see what this is all about yeah, Y2K is still free on Itch, and I do have the zine at my web store, uh, worldchamp.io, and it is like a 12-page preview, effectively, of both the mechanics and the aesthetic of Cyber Metal. Um, like and then the Cyber Metal... Right? Like, that's kind of how yeah, you were pitching so it? it takes place in the same place 12 years prior, and there is a little bit of like some of the events and locations and stuff from Y2K do end up in pentagram city in cyber metal 2012 um but 12 years removed so they're changed they're different they don't necessarily take into account what you would do as a player yeah because they couldn't i could i could never do that but they kind of still are considerate that like y2k is a game that you could have experienced Mm -hmm. but you may not have so it it tries to account for the idea that you might have no base knowledge here but you also might have spent a couple hours here yeah and uh either way again the world keeps spinning you're not you might make small changes mm-hmm. but um you can't like fully eradicate this region or anything like that you don't have that power yeah so um yeah, Y2K is up. And then Cyber Metal, you can still pre-order it at pentagram.city. Um, and that'll probably stay open for the rest of the month uh, until I send it to print and do all the other. And there's like so much merch involved too, <laughs> which I love doing, but I'm also at the point of like, damn, I might have overdone it on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is cool to get all like the, the shirts and like all the other baubles and trinkets for games like it is very rad and cool because especially your stuff looks awesome so it's like yeah of course i want a bunch of stuff that looks in a thing and so i can slap it all over my stuff getting the metal pin that is the the character's like interface jack that goes on the back of their skull i have i got those from the the manufacturer and they're very cool but they're just in a bag in my inventory closet because the game's not going to ship for a couple more months so it's it's paining me to keep them <laughs> in hiding. 
Yeah, it's hard. I, you, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, and I am the same way. I am not a patient person. So, like, oh. when I have something and it's ready to be shown to people, like, I'm ready to just show it and release it at the worst timing and with no, <laughs> like, no fanfare, no preparation. I'm just like, ah, it's out now. Uh, and, yeah, I got to learn to learn to be patient. It's hard. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> um, okay, so... That's cyber metal, which rocks. That's the cyberpunk retro future. Let's go into fantasy. Now, yeah. <laughs> uh, with Adam's uh, Soul Burner, which I am so excited about. I I, I feel like um, I didn't know you were working on this until you kind of just like announced it, and then like it was just I saw the the the, the image, the like the classic Soul Burner banner, and I was like holy shit what is this yeah. <laughs> it rocks um so what's the what's the quick pitch for soul burner yeah uh in soul burner you play uh the ashen corpse of someone who was burned to death and death didn't take so you come back to life as this body of embers that can warp and change as you experience the afterlife um and whether you use that afterlife to seek revenge on those who burned you or like learn about who your true self is or, or whatever is up to you. And uh, it's compatible with, but it is a standalone game uh, inspired by Mork Borg, the Swedish classic modern all-star. Um, so it uses, you know, D20 plus X to overcome your challenges and stuff. Um so I'm hoping it will be familiar enough and adjacent enough to that sort of fantasy role-playing mm. experience that people expect, but bringing in, um, I was going to say a more sentimental, it's really hard to call a game about being a burnt corpse sentimental, but the idea that your body is physically made of your memories, mm -hmm. um, which might be a weapon. It might, your head could be a sword um, or it could be a person or a moment or whatever um, that makes up your limbs and your body. So it's like this weird Cronenberg body horror mess that is your character. Cause again, I want you to be the most insane thing you cannot be in other games. Um. But it brings that memory and and sort of subjectivity of memory from Necronautilus um, into the dark fantasy of Morkborg. So it's, yeah, if you put Cronenberg uh, and Morkborg and Necronautilus in a blender, Soulburner is what comes out. That's a great pitch. That's a really yeah. solid <laughs> line right there. I, <laughs> I, have, I have to say, you know, when I first read Necronautilus, when you were talking about it a long time ago, like I got, I was lucky enough to be in some of like the play tests. I, the, one of the things, the, the reason Necronautilus is such a special game to me is it scratches two of the primary itches that I have as a cognitive yeah. psychologist. I study language uh, and I study memory. Like those are two big areas that I study. Um, and so when you were making these games about the interpretation of language, and that's specifically the area that I study. I study what's called text and discourse processing. So like the conversation you have with text, essentially, and how you interpret it and like non-literal language. And then 
the infallibility of memory. I was like, holy shit, this game is exactly <laughs> right up my alley. It's so perfect. And you do such a phenomenal job of capturing those ideas, especially especially the idea of memory, of memory being this incredibly imperfect thing, yet it is the thing that builds us. Like, we are made of our memories. Even Like, you described it so perfectly right there. A body that is literally composed of your memories. Like, that's, that's it. That's us. We are yeah. truly just uh, a big blob full of memories up there. And that's how we go. Uh, so right. I, I'm so into it. Yeah, this on some level, too, this comes from like ship of Theseus, you know, like you shed all of your dead skin. However, like once every seven years, are you the same person? Right. And like you said, like your memory or your experience is the thing that makes you you. And in Soulburner, that's literally the only thing that makes you you because your body was burnt and you're, there's nothing left of it. So um, and while you're in this exploration in this fantasy um you're accruing new memories mm. so you're constantly changing every, the other like cool tagline i have for the game is like every dice roll changes who you are yeah because you either incur additional memories and you like explore again that that past experience that makes you your present but you know on the on your quest you're creating new memories and those continue to shape you even though in the narrative you're dead or you are it's hard to tackle you're undead right <laughs> you tried to die i don't know it's like uh not important that's the hand wave <laughs> you don't need to categorize <laughs> yeah um so you know if you take down an ogre you could have that ogre's anger like mm -hmm. their kind of malice at like that's your leg now like you and what that means, how you manifest it physically and how you use it to overcome your future challenges is the subjectivity is like, what does that experience mean to you? Because as role players, that might not be an encounter that you care about or you take with you, especially again in fantasy, like thinking of playing the D&D &D like a starter kit and doing lost minds of like. For some reason, I really remember one of the first encounters is just like going down the street and seeing a dead horse cart. Right. And spoiler alert, it's a goblin sabotage. Like they're in the bushes. And when you, if you investigate the horse or whatever, they shoot arrows at you. And I remember it probably because it was, to me, Adam, not my character. It was one of my first role-playing experiences. But it's kind of a throwaway. Yeah. Right? Like <laughs> it's an introduction to get you involved in the story. In Soulburner, there's no such thing as a throwaway because every time you interact with it, someone takes something with them, mm -hmm. figuratively. Um, and I think that's awesome because it takes that sort of act structure that we take from media and put into our games of like, you know, if you're going to fight the Lich, then everything between you and the Lich kind of doesn't matter mm -hmm. because you have a goal. Um it does matter in Soulburner, and those experiences change you, even if you think they are insignificant. Um, and on some level, on a, like the psychological level, there, I think that's true of our lived experience. You don't really know uh, what is going to be important until you have that hindsight and that context, and you know you can think back to like 
being in the talent show in fifth grade and thinking of how that ended that shaped you more than you probably thought when you were in fifth grade. And um, so that's something that I want Soulburner to be is this uh, awareness or like openness to every experience becoming significant. And by putting that into the mechanics, by having it be your body be- is composed of these moments mm. and some of them overwrite others. And some like in Necronautilus, like if you crit um, you, the thing changes. Yeah. Uh, so in Necronautilus, if you get exactly the value, you do this like letter play Scrabble thing where you <laughs> rearrange the letters into new words. Um, in soul burner, the thing like that limb explodes. It's like this fiery energy that just pops and it, so you get this in, intense, like critical result, but where it regrows is like based on that moment that you just created, nice. because rolling a crit in a role playing game is a significant moment. It's the sort of like meta play of like you as a player get this intense thrill of rolling a twenty or whatever, and then you as a character have an intense thrill of part of your body exploding. Right. I mean, the memory stuff is just so cool to me because like exactly like you said, you never really know what memories are going to stick with you that are going to be those like formative things like it, we've all experienced that phenomenon where you're laying in bed and you suddenly like <gasps> you remember yes. some horrible thing and some embarrassing moment like you're like, oh, I guess that I guess that was meaningful to me. I guess that was way more <laughs> meaningful to me than it's, that's haunting me way after the fact sort of thing. We, we never know what memories are going to to stick. The other big aspect about the memory stuff that I love that you do is the idea of these memories being constructed. Like you really like that was really the idea in Necronautilus is that you didn't have the memories. Right. And so they would be created in play. And from what we understand in, in modern memory theory is that when we remember things, we are building the memory. We reconstruct memories every time we remember things rather than like going and finding the file on the bookcase. It's you have a blueprint and you build the memory, Um, which means inevitably something's going to get built out of place. You're going to put a brick in the wrong spot or something like that. And so your memories will be these imperfect things that you keep rebuilding. And like, it just is so perfectly nailed in Necronautilus. And it sounds like it's going to be something that's really captured in Soul Burner of like, these are the memories, but it's your interpretation of the memory. And it's how you're building the memory in that moment as like, how does this memory, how does this memory inform what I need to know or think about right now? Like I'm the, the psychologist nerd in me is just like, yes, this is the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) There's something in Necronautilus too. Like when you succeed on a role, you incur a memory based on what you just did. Right. So, you know, if you, if you summon lightning and you torch this metal vulture or whatever, then the GM prompts you like, Oh, what does like, what memory comes back? And it's like, Oh, I was in a thunderstorm as a kid and I was scared. And like, I saw this lightning split the tree or whatever. Like, I don't know. You improvise something, you make up something because I think that's often how memory works for me is like the repeated instance Mm -hmm. is what triggers the recollection right and that's a big thing in soul burner too and um similar to in both games again you start off with like something that's very core to your self um 
in Necronautilus, it was the reason that you joined the Death Agency. That was your one profound memory that you start the game with. Mm. And in Soulburner, it was like your last glimpse as you were being burned alive. Mm. So, and again, th- those are open to interpretation and exploration as through the game. I, I think a lot about the movie Memento too, like because it's told in that interesting way that keeps pushing the the curtain back a little bit further and you keep learning new information and context. Um, that's the intent with Soulburner of like, you might see your husband as the last thing that you see when you're burned alive. And so you as a player, are like, Oh, he must've burned me in my bed. And then like, you keep zooming back, you keep zooming back. You learn all these things. Maybe, like maybe he was there trying to save you mm-hmm. as your house burned down by like something else. And like, you're filling in that as you play. And I think that's really cool and fun and narrative because it does away with the write an essay about who you were before we start playing. Yes. And instead it becomes a thing that everyone gets to explore in real time during the game. There's nothing left on the table because everything happens at the table. And that's what I think is a unique experience. Cause I, you know, I've played those fantasy games with, my backstory written in my journal and the other players do too. And I don't ever read those or know the full context. <laughs> of those. Um, and in a game where they're happening as part of the game, not only do we get to completely explore them, but we get to, they get to change around our experience. Mm. They're not as concrete as they might be in that sort of like narrative essay form. Yeah. This rocks. This rocks so much. Um, and yeah, that stuff all rules. But also, if your head is just a double-sided act, that's also really cool. So, so like, pretty cool. <laughs> I, I think that's really the other kind of pillar of my design is I want to put these themes in. I want to mechanize the themes and have it be imbued through the whole project. But I also want you to be just weird and have the most fun Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, I'm making games. We're playing games. So you can have those rich kind of introspective experiences and the mechanics support it. But if you just want to be crazy, the game supports that too. And I really like that. And I want to support all these different styles of play. And I think people, I think people get that, which is, um to me it uh affirmation of what i want to do you know like to hear people talk about like you know how how interesting and and significant the memory stuff is feels amazing but so does when i played with my dad and he you like summoned a volcano of blood to take down a spaceship Hell and yeah. like <laughs> you know that's amazing that's incredible i think about that often and those exist in the same game those are the same game <laughs> that rocks that's super cool so i yeah. so soul burner is i mean it's its own thing right it's it, yeah. it's using sort of it's a, it, like exactly like you said it's this blender of necronautilus and morphorg and cronenberg but like um is it something that could i take my like soul burner character and played in morph board like if i was a really hardcore morph board person and i was like yeah it's all soul burner because it's giving me similar vibes it's using like it's is that something that i could transfer over or yeah 
it's it's actually really easy. You would just kind of need the GM to like give the thumbs up. But so effectively, Soulburner, like in Necronautilus, every character is the same class. You're this blank slate that builds upon it through play. But it would not even it would not be different or challenging at all to just play the Ashen Corpse as a character class in your Morkboard campaign. The main difference is instead of skill checks, um, because you don't have strength and agility and whatever, you have this part of you and this part of you. And these they're called reminders. Mm. Um, They're the physical manifestations of these memories that you have. You use those as your skill checks instead of the traditional force stats. So, and they, you know, they fluctuate, they have the D 20 plus X um, resolution that all still tracks. The other main distinction, I think, in terms of playing both of them at the same time would be that uh, Soulburner characters don't die mm. uh, in the same way that Necronautilus characters don't die because they're already dead. Um, instead, your body sh- changes again. You you lose some... Uh, I think the, the HP in Soulburner is called fire or fuel, and it's basically like the measure of vitality again. And when you are depleted like some part of you is lost so you can come back and you can generate new parts and it's more forgiving in that way than Morkborg is um but yeah you could very easily play them together and the other intent being like you can use the wealth of Morkborg adventures that's what I was thinking because there's so much cool Morkborg stuff out there and like if I could just have my soul burner people just run around in that giant playground yeah. of stuff that people have made that yeah I, the, the intent there was like a lot of morkborg adventures are built around a really interesting threat uh, usually in the form of a monster mm. or and or a really interesting item and so combat and monsters and stuff works the same in soul burner so you could easily still do combat but then you're going to take some part of that creature battle with you physically right and then same thing with the item like you can do item recovery missions and stuff and find this magic mace and instead of just delivering it to whomever um you now have like flailed spikes all over you right because this is such a significant like checkpoint in your afterlife experience I'm now even imagining like a soul burner campaign that takes place in the Morkboard universe where instead of like slaying monsters and finding items and stuff, like you are just trying, you know, the, like the end of the world is coming and you are trying to absorb as much of the world into your ashen beings as possible. And maybe that is something that can hold off the apocalypse or I don't know, like you, you know that you carry that stuff on. I don't know. But now I'm imagining like finding cool ways to weave those things together. Like the world is dying, but you are beyond death. Right. So like, yeah. So, so whatever um, you grab, whatever you hold on to, the malice of the ogre, the the I, the the important items, that's what will remain of the Morkborgian world as it right. is burned to the ground and it grows back from the ashes. And y- you, you become there. this like undead museum of the past yeah you're like the seeds of the next world like you plant your ashen bodies into the world and inform the next version of it based off of what you have held on to yeah the setting for Soulburner is this country called cotter that is you know volcanoes and deserts and like bringing in a lot of this 
arid climate and fire sort of themes to it but it could very easily just be a region in the Morkborg map it could be an island that's off of yeah. you know off the map or whatever like they're they're intended to be adjacent and i think too the art and the language and stuff obviously is meant to ev- obviously evoke Morkborg and bring that aesthetic with my own kind of twist and mm-hmm. i ha- i have an artist working with me his name's or their, their name's Mataburski mm. from Grand Rapids. So we could hang out in real life and talk about this game and Hell get inspired. Yeah. And that is a very cool, unique experience. But um, they're doing such an excellent job too. And we're just like feeding off of each other and making this thing. So, and I think this is the success of a lot of third-party stuff mm. is it evokes the thing that you want. It, it evokes Morkborg, but it is our twist on it our stuff and like you know we love body horror we love horror in general Mm. there's all these really cool real textures of like we're setting stuff on fire and taking pictures of it and um (laughs) it's it's ours it's our interpretation and regurgitation of this both just the aesthetic the mechanics like all of the stuff that makes a game a game through our lenses and then put back out becomes something else yeah and you know that's also a much wider topic that is like artistry as curation and you're excellent at this too like um you know destiny means something to you Mm. it goes through your understanding of what games are and how games should work and what they feel like and then you put out something like light that is bespoke but clearly inspired by. Mm. And I think that is on some level, what all of us are doing, not just as game designers, but as artists is taking in all the things we care about, running them through the filter. That is our understanding of reality or play or whatever, and then putting it back out and having a new thing exist. Um, And that to me is like a, a profound experience. Like that is the sort of nature of creativity. Um, which that was a very long-winded and weird way to say, uh, yeah, you can play Soul Burner with more pork. <laughs> I mean that. I mean, number one, awesome, cool, very awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that is super. I I love that idea that you have there at the end of how we, you know, we are constantly absorbing the world around us and we are interpreting it through our own lens, a lens that harkening back to the beginning of our conversation we cannot see and understand each other's filters and lenses we don't know what's going on in another person's mind not just in thoughts but literally how they picture things in the world right so like yeah yeah, everybody's interpretation of the thing will be cool in their own weird new way and i i love that i love i i had i had honestly not thought about it like that way and it's it's a very cool way to think about things I think sometimes our artists in general, and again, we're focusing our conversation on game design and publishing, but mm. that is art and it's not terribly distinct from the process I go through in writing songs or drawing paintings or whatever. But because I like songs, I like paintings, I have some understanding of what they look like, what they can look like, what I do and don't like. Um, again, we go back to the, like Morkborg, Necronautilus and Cronenberg in a blender. I am the blender. And even 
Mato, my artist, is a different blender mm. who can take those same component pieces and make a different smoothie out of the same ingredients. Right. And that's a lot of artists think, you know, their goal is to create something unique or their goal. Um, every once in a while, I'll see people who are like uh, making a game that's based on a genre or something, but they're avoiding intaking the genre because they don't want it to be. Mm you know skewed by that experience right but you already have like you've not gone your whole life i didn't make cyber i'm not a big cyberpunk person in terms of role-playing games but i get what they do i did i have read a lot of them and i've also obviously seen a lot of the movies and stuff that inspired that um so my take is just going to be different but because it's going through my lens my experience and um I think it's good. I think people would benefit from that admission that like we are artists are curators and artistry is curation Mm. instead of this idea that like originality is the thing that we're all seeking or some sort of like, because I don't think that's even possible. I think that's like a sort of myth or cultural thing that's put on you is like, this is derivative of X. It's like, yeah, everything is derivative. And that's the whole point because we are living beings who experience life. Right. Uh, and I think that's good. And I think that's people benefit from, I certainly benefit from that admission and from that awareness mm-hmm. because I want to take the things I care about and display why I care about them yeah. through my own work. Um, and I think too, a lot of us do that in a, in the inverse, like, you know, there's a reason most of us are not using 5e as our system mm. because most of us don't like it. And that is in itself curation is excluding <laughs> the things we don't like and including the things we do like to make something new, even though that new thing is in, innately derivative of old prior things that exist. Yeah. It doesn't make it diminutive or bad or anything like that. I think that's education, <laughs> like yeah. that's information and that's super good to consider and and be aware of you want to eat everything you want to taste every flavor because that will help you as an artist know the flavors you do and don't like that you want to use yeah i'm having this weird uh like the sudden connection with what you're saying about how artists try and shy away with what has been done before to create their own thing I'm seeing this interesting parallel in you're talking about that with uh, how I talk to my students about the scientific process. So I teach research classes in psychology and every student wants to come up with like their own brilliant, unique experiment that nobody in psychology has ever done before. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to you're probably not going to do that. That's incredibly hard. But but not only should you not like not don't don't do that because it's hard. You shouldn't do that because that's not how we do science. Science is an right. iterative <laughs> process by which we go through a cycle of building. And like we build based off of what we have seen before. Like it is an encouragement of, of exactly like you're saying, eating all the flavors, tasting all the theories out there, and then building the thing that is yours based off of that. It's a weird thing where it's a skill that I am trying to teach my young scientists in my classrooms. And at the same time, you're saying we need to kind of teach or encourage our artists to be thinking in a similar sort of way. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think there's a lot of 
parallels. The other the other thing that I think uh, comes up in that conversation is that that's like left brain, right brain mm. division that doesn't really exist. Right. This idea that science and mathematics are in are distinct from uh, creativity and artistry art. and creativity. That's not true. It's never been true. But you see the mirrors here. You see the the things that are common between them mm. um, in 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 this example but also like obviously our games which are creative writing which are uh you know narrative um they have statistics yeah. they have you include you consider those statistics when you create systems and those systems are mechanized themes which are these you know air quotes artists or created uh, means by which you tell the story, but they are informed by mathematics. They're informed by the probability, and yeah, I think uh, at least in my experience, that that teaching or that cultural understanding that those are separate things is wrong, and it does you uh, a wealth to ignore that or yeah. to uh, disregard that because. I see so much in common with those things that it interests me and makes me a better artist to engage with those mathematical systems and those different kind of things that are generally considered not creative. Mm. That's really fascinatingly creative almost as soon as you get out of the classroom because <laughs> we're not, we're not in, in like high school and stuff like maths that like calculus um i i took a lot of calculus and i have seemingly never used it or have really any understanding of it but like there are yeah there there are shared components of i guess what technical knowledge mm. and creative knowledge and both they 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 help one another yeah. my engagement of math makes me a better game designer makes me a better artist thinking of you know like taking geometry and now i'm a now i paint like yeah. and you probably don't think of those two things as shared or or anything like because again you're taught that you're either this person or that person right. um that line is way way blurry and those things benefit each other yeah. So in the same idea of like this desire to be original and bespoke being sort of a myth. Mm -hmm. So is the idea that you are just one thing. Yeah. Even like my, again, going back to ether operations, like the visual informs the mechanical informs the narrative. Like all of these things are in the same pool and none of them would have succeeded without the others. Yeah. So yeah, it's really interesting. I enjoy talking to you about this like brain level stuff because I dropped out of college uh, 15 years ago. And so it's not really things, there are thoughts that are in here that I don't necessarily engage with. And almost every time we meet up or talk, it's like, how do brains work? We always talk okay. about it every time. I was thinking the because exact does, same thing. Yeah, it does interest me so much and inform so much of what I do as an artist, but it's kind of passive to me in my everyday work. And 
just knowing that you have that knowledge base lets me explore it in a more critical way. And I think that's not, not just beneficial for me and hopefully you, but like also hopefully the audience who's engaging and hearing this, these thoughts, but yeah, just makes me inspired because like I was, I was going to work after this. I was going to go back into layout for cyber metal and I still might, but like, I'm very invigorated by that, just these theories, right? Like mm. part of the cyber metal layout is me taking like fashion magazines and like figuring out proportions and, yeah. you know, the geographical uh, dissection of aesthetic mm. and then putting it through me and putting it into InDesign. Um, and instead of that feeling tacky or lazy, now I'm, like that is creativity like that is that is cool that is awesome (laughs) yeah i i was i was literally thinking the same thing i was like i love sitting down and talking with adam because we inevitably are going to talk like it's just going to happen some weird brain thing is going to come up and (laughs) it's awesome just because again every time i read your stuff i'm like like adam just i don't know if he gets it if he's is he thinking about these things the way that i'm thinking about them like it's awesome i just i I absolutely love it so hopefully other folks are finding this yeah (laughs) because i again like it's the kind of thing that i could sit down i teach whole classes about these things so i could sit down and be like all right adam let's really get into this memory (laughs) (laughs) um i think what's cool too is you a lot of your perspective again we're you know, us as curators, these living, walking blunders, um, yours comes from a more educational and more knowledge-based perspective. And a lot of mine simply comes from wonder. Like, Mm. I wonder why I remember spilling these M&Ms in second grade. Like, you probably, on some level, could answer that in a, like, clinical way. And I can't because my perspective is through art. And so the way that I explore that is through wonder and asking questions. And I think that's really cool. And I think that's why I enjoy so much these conversations because we both have our own understanding of it. It comes from our own lived experience, but there's commonality to those things. And again, it kind of, it is the blurring of the line between the left and right brain is that we can find that middle ground and that commonality in admitting that this is just interesting even (laughs) if we don't have answers like both of us are like wow that is really interesting yeah that rocks i'm i'm so into it this rocks um so soul burner it's up on kickstarter right now right like folks if if folks have been listening to this and they're like i want to be a a weird ashen body that goes into (laughs) the world and has a double-sided axe for a head but also my (laughs) loved ones as my right arm like how do yeah like Remind us again, what's the fun domain that you have for? It's dying.day. Yeah, hell yeah. That's such a good uh, <laughs> the book. The book is 27 bucks. Uh, soft cover, half letter, you know the type. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be great. And it's a standalone game. You don't need Mark Borg or Necronautilus to play it. Um, having either or both of those books will help, mm. like just kind of in a creative way. And you can add Necronautilus to your pledge through dying.day. Um, but it is a, a standalone experience. So uh, no not prior knowledge or experience is necessary to play it. That rocks. I haven't looked at the page in a little bit, so I'm pulling it up here. Uh, 
because you mentioned with cyber metal you've got a ton of merch are you going merch merch wild no, here or is this really be much more straightforward because <laughs> i'm still doing cyber metal like like i said cyber metal's in layout now right. i'm still doing like shirts and sticker packs and we have temporary tattoos and stuff for and then there's this the full art book for cyber metal right. there's the tattoo book um so there's quite i have my work cut out for me there so much to do <laughs> so with soul burner i was just like it's a book there are no stretch goals it's the book and but the one thing that really really irked me mm. and I, i'll spill it here uh it would have just messed with my shipping cost because i'm using media mail and this is not media but i was going to make uh matchbooks that came with either a creature or a, a like really tiny point crawl on the inside of the matchbook and then you could light it on fire um God. And it really pained to have the idea and not pursue it. Because I, you know, as we were talking about earlier, I just kick out every idea and I yeah. and I love exploring them. To have that, to gamify a matchbook and then leave it in my brain and just be like, no, I won't do that. Oh, it hurts. I, you must be just writhing in mental agony right now. I mean, because you... You've done like yeah. you gamified the mask. Uh, you've yeah. gamified, you brought scratchers to the table. A matchbook is so freaking yeah. cool as an idea. Oh, it really hurts. <laughs> it's just a, a really high minimum quantity oh. that I can't justify doing it without the Kickstarter. But knowing that part of my the appeal of doing a quick and easy campaign is using cheap shipping options. I was like, oh, I just kind of have to, for my own sanity, because I also know, again, cyber metal fulfillment is going to be a, a headache for me. Right. I just have to be straight up and, and and leave this one. So maybe in the future, I'll be able to make a little game matchbook that you can use the fire or something. Yeah. But it's, it's not this one. That's that's good. Uh, like con loot for like oh, a yeah. convention you got matchbooks on the table that yeah are part of your your bad at you have the soul burner bat like banner in the background <laughs> and you're giving away match like matchbooks people are like okay yeah i want to figure out what, what's going on over here right <laughs> pretty cool uh, yeah there's also the rule in morkborg that's like once the world ends you burn the book right and that was part of the inspiration of soul burner 2 to be like once I've burned my Morkborg, like what is there? And the answer is Soul Burner. Like it's continuing that journey in ash and fire. Yeah. And like I think that was a, a major inspiration. But yeah, I really wanted you to give you the means to wit to light the fire. Yeah. I want to make something that is like this undead Obscene. museum <laughs> thing that was mentioned. Like Will Will mentioned it in the chat. Just like the idea that the undead museum that the soul burner characters can be of the world before it burns. Like making something for that. Making that's not, that's very cool. As like an yeah, that's kind of awesome. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I have a wedding to plan, so I don't know <laughs> if I can do that anytime right. soon. Yeah. <laughs> Our plates are very full. Yeah. Um. Well, this is rocked. I've had so much fun, Adam. Is there is there anything that Me we too. that we didn't cover that you really wanted to to shout out or anything? I don't think so. It felt pretty comprehensive. <laughs> Hell yeah! Every every part of my brain got used in this Perfect. conversation. Then <laughs> we've mission accomplished. Yeah. Um, remind folks at home then, like all the cool stuff. I'll make sure that the links are in the vods for all of this stuff. But like, where do you cool. want to point people? Yeah, uh, Soulburner is on Kickstarter right now at dying.day. 
and it's a relatively short campaign too so if you're like on the fence you should you should check it out it's like less than two weeks left now um cyber metal 2012 is still available for pre-order along with all the wild merch that comes with it at pentagram.city and the rest of my games are at worldchamp.io uh including babes in the wood which is a game i'm very proud of um necronautilus which we talked a lot about today in hardcover i just did a reprint so i have my living room is very full of those <laughs> um if you're watching live uh you can get 15 percent off of my store with the code av birthday because it was my birthday this week Hell yeah. um so that actually ends at like midnight tonight so uh you know get some stuff on sale and um there's a bunch of weird form factor stuff like spencer was saying i have a game face mask i have posters that are games and scratch off tickets and just constantly my, ch- changing the game in terms of how that's my thing i i love doing just different form factors and exploring what it can be and what function like again like what the form informs the mechanics of the yeah. setting and stuff. um and then uh i'm on patreon doing games almost every month at patreon.com slash world champ game co and you can tweet at me at WC Game Co. if you want to know any more about any of the wealth of things I have mentioned today. Like we said, a lot of plates that are being spun and yeah. they all rock. <laughs> they're all on fire, but they're supposed to be on fire. That's a good thing for these plates. Yeah, and someday maybe I'll give you some matches and you can light them all on fire. Yes, yes I love that. Um, well, folks, thank you all so much for coming and hanging out with us on Coffee Break this week. Um, we'll be back next week. I always forget to do this. I always forget to look up the guest before this. And let me just vamp for a second. It's Raph. Raph D'Amico is going to be here. Oh, very we're, cool. We're going to talk about the zone. Uh, the zone is the best. It's super cool. And Raph is a big psych person. So uh, if you enjoyed yeah. the psych stuff, there's going to be a lot of it next week. <laughs> so uh, thank you all so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day, morning, afternoon, evening, wherever it is you are. We'll talk to you later. Bye.